the experience you went through, how did that inform your approach once you got into sales? And yes, selling is really hard, but nothing like what you went through. Yeah, I mean, it's this perspective again, just to keep coming back to it. It's like, is cold calling hard? Yes. Is being rejected on the phone a hundred times a day hard? Yes. Is the specter of losing your job because you're not hitting quota difficult? Yes. Are any of those things as difficult or hard as defying a life-threatening illness? Absolutely not. Hey friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now that was Scott Lease. He's founder of Surf and Sales, co-host of the Surf and Sales Podcast with Richard Harris. He's an author, thought leader, and Scott's joining me today on Sales Enablement, episode 785, to talk about, well, a range of things. Starting with his amazing resilience in combating a debilitating illness and launching his successful sales career. We're also digging the story behind why Scott and I both hated making cold calls early in our careers and what we did to avoid them. And we'll also dive into Scott's five biggest regrets in business and what you can do to avoid similar situations in your career. All this and much, much more. But before we get to Scott, I want to let you know that the whole team of people who work to produce this podcast are incredibly grateful for all of you who support us by listening to the show, telling your friends, and sharing it on social media. And most importantly, subscribing to the show and giving us your feedback in the form of a rating and review. Now, if you haven't already connected with me on LinkedIn, please do. You can find me to search Andy Paul. I know there's more than one of me. It's LinkedIn slash real Andy Paul. All right, let's jump into it with Scott. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Andy. It's a pleasure to finally have you on the show. So, um, been an interesting week. Not really sure. <laughs> Somehow talking about sales stuff seems kind of unimportant. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I had a bunch of events scheduled for this week and uh, ended up removing myself. And then the events canceled themselves. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty difficult to, to kind of try to attempt any business as usual type stuff. So it's, it's, it's been rough. Yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, we've got. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, very much so. I was gonna say we have some broken windows in our our building. Uh, we were on the path of one of the rallies. It was mostly peaceful. As almost all of them have been. There's a couple people in the crowd that uh, apparently wanted to make a statement. But um, yeah, yeah, it's been been a very very tough week. Um, so I thought maybe we'll talk about sales indirectly. I want to start by talking about you. So, I've, tell us the story about, if you don't mind, about, you know, you've mentioned and alluded to, but never really seen much detail about um, all these surgeries you went through. You had a, a life-threatening illness of some sort. So, what, what was that? Yeah, um, at 23 years old, <clears throat> I got super sick. And uh, within two days of being sick, I ended up in the hospital. I had severe GI distress. and. Uh, it ended, it t- took them a while to figure it out, but um, ended up with ulcerative colitis, like a really severe form of ulcerative colitis, okay. as well as another autoimmune disease. And, and it was like this switch had been flipped in, in my body and it just was never going to go off. I mean, it was really kind of an overnight um, change. Um, I was playing soccer in Arizona and it just was on the about to finish grad school and 
I'm six two and I was about 195 pounds and in really good shape at the time. Mm -hmm. Six weeks later, I was hospitalized, uh, and weighed 140 pounds and my organs were starting to shut down and I couldn't, you know, move from the hospital bed to the restroom on my own. I needed, you know, help. I mean, I was in really bad shape. Well, how long, how long were you in the hospital? Four years. Four years? Four years. I had I had stints during that four years where I might get out for a week or two, but then I would just you know relapse, and the, the meds that they had me on you know wouldn't wouldn't work. Um, it was just a mess. I mean, constant you know t- uh, trying new things, different medications here, there, and everywhere, um, and then just nothing nothing worked, nothing, nothing calmed it down. I started to get, um, strictures and scar tissues in in my intestine. My organs started, you know, being at risk of failure. I started getting, you know, chronic kidney stones like every couple of days. Wait, every, every couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Holy shit. So, so how would you, how would you treat that? Or did they have to pass? There's no treating, there's no treating it. You know, I mean, I had, the ultrasounds, yeah, they had the lithotripsy procedures and whatnot. But um, you know, d- during this illness process, I mean, I had this absolutely excruciating pain, and so I was pumped full of, you know, Dilaudid and Demerol and right. morphine and oxycodone, oxycodone and all this, you know, stuff. Um, and then I started to get some cancerous growths on my on my colon, my large intestine. Um, coupled with a severe blockage. And so the doctors came in one time and, and basically said, we need to, you know, have surgery like later today, or you're not going to make it. And, um, you know, I, they, they tried to perform, um, I forget the name of the surgery now, but some type of surgery where they remove part of the large intestine and then sew it back up. And so they, they did that surgery and then <clears throat> it sprung a leak. I don't know how else to phrase it. And so yeah. I started going sepsis, I think sepsis. is the term. Yeah, yeah. septic, right? Well, that was like my first emergency life-saving surgery was to solve for that. So anyways, um, I've had about nine surgeries. I think it's nine on the button. Um, four major abdominal surgeries sort of filleted open from, you know, above my belly button to right above my crotch and, and um, two life-saving surgeries. And a total colectomy, so I have no large intestine. I, I have a surgery, what's called J pouch surgery, where they stretch the small intestine down, and and that's how I function. Um, so I'm 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 hardwired a lot different than other than other people. Um, but you know, for me and all the things that I've been through, this is you know as healthy as I'm kind of gonna kind of get, and it, and it it is what it is. And once I started getting healthy enough to get released from the hospital. Then I had a whole new challenge, which was getting off of drugs. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask so, about that, but yeah. So, you know, I was, I got pretty fortunate. I, I didn't have a real severe mental side to the addiction. I, I was just very physically addicted to all the opioids. Um, oh, I can imagine. So, you know, I, uh, I actually decided to cold Turkey against doctor's orders. They were pretty upset with me. Um, but I was just at a place where I was like, I don't want to take a fucking Advil again, let alone any, any kind of pills or medication. So were you at home with your family or you living by yourself or 
I was at home. I, I was fortunate through this whole illness that, uh, you know, my family was able to pay my bills and support me and, and whatnot. Um, so I, I went home from the hospital and I was staying with my dad and, um, you know, my, my parents, I joke with my parents, like they're so far removed from, um, you know, alcohol or drug culture. I tease them sometimes like, were you even around during the sixties? I don't even know. how. <laughs> um, but they had no idea what was in store, but you know, I knew what was in store. I've, I've had plenty of friends who've struggled with substance abuse and whatnot. And, um, but you know, I, my mindset was like, look, this is going to be horrible for like two to three weeks. Uh, and then, you know, uh, things will get better. And, and after you've been through something for years, like I had, um, you know, two to three, three weeks sounded like a, a cakewalk by comparison. And was it? Uh, I wouldn't call it a cakewalk. <laughs> um, you know, uh, the, some of the, some of the things you read and the stories you hear are, are, you know, pretty true. I mean, I can, I can remember lying in bed and feeling like I was levitating and yep. swinging around and Ho- engulfing planes and yeah, it was just pure hallucination and, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of pain and nausea and all that kind of stuff that comes with the territory. But, you know, it was a, it was a means to an end, um, for me. So it was a hell of an ordeal. Um, you know, it's not, it's not like I don't struggle now with, uh, my, my health or anything like that, but, um, what was the turning point? So what, what happened to sort of say, okay, I'm getting better. Was it the surgeries? Was it a new medication or? No, it was, it was the surgeries, you know, um, they were, the large intestine was the problem and they removed the large intestine. Um, and so things are, have been able to be relatively under control. You know, I, I have, I have periods of time that are more difficult. I have to watch what I eat. I've, I've got 41 food allergies that can wreak havoc on, havoc on me if I'm not careful. 40, 41 foods. So what are the most significant things that uh, you have to watch out for? Stuff that you'd imagine like gluten and dairy right. and, and soy and um, sugar and caffeine and things like this. Um, huh. Peanuts. I mean, I'm, you know, I didn't know any of this stuff, right? Like, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe I should have asked, what can you eat? Well, I, the closest thing is like paleo-ish. You know, I can mm-hmm. eat fruit, fruit, vegetable, and, and protein. I try right. to stay away from most other things. So the upshot is like my regular diet is pretty damn healthy. <laughs> I was going to say none of the vices. Yeah, no, no, I'm just not allowed. I'll, I'll suffer the consequences. So it's certainly not worth it. Wow, what an ordeal! I mean, I, I on the whole opioid, opioid thing, I I remember what I felt like after being on opioids for five days a couple of years ago. I was in the hospital for pancreatitis and extremely painful and they load you up through a dilaudid and so on. And the first two nights back, it was like, I, I couldn't sleep because the hallucinations were so intense. And I, so I can't imagine that's after five days. I can't imagine after years. Yeah. Well, you know, perspective though. Yeah. Yeah. You know, at the, at the time it just felt like something I had to do and didn't seem like that long of a period of time. You know, if, if you told me today, Hey, you're going to go through some serious withdrawals for the next three weeks, I'd be like, Oh fuck. You know, yeah. like that, that sounds pretty horrible because I'm, right. I'm not in the same, same place. Right. So that, that whole thing clearly interrupted your career, right? Cause you're right at the start of your career at that point or would it would have been the start of your career. So it would have been, it would have been the start of my career. I, I candidly didn't really know what I was doing with my life. I mean, I, I, 
I was playing semi-pro soccer still um, in Arizona. I had gone to grad school basically because I didn't feel like getting a job and working yet. And this Mm -hmm. was like an acceptable thing to do with yourself still to pursue education. Um, So I I got a master's degree in, in learning and instructional technology. And at the time, I was really interested in just how people learn and kind of how how to teach people and get that learning to stick. Um, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do with myself. You know, my, my dad is a college professor, so I had this college professor thing in my head. I started to get interested a little bit in, in the idea of corporate training, um, but I really didn't know what I wanted to do at all. And then this whole health crisis hit me and, you know, I kind of lost all the things that I had studied. I mean, I, I had an undergraduate degree in psychology. I minored in religious studies. I had this master's degree in learning theory. But that was it was all four years since at least four years since I had right. you know thought about exactly. it. And, and I'd never put it to use. I didn't have any job experience. So I, I really felt like I was just completely starting from scratch. I was I was 27 years old. I, I really never had a job before in my life that didn't involve getting paid to play sports or, or coach sports. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, getting into sales was a very, very strategic decision. It was the only thing I could think of where, um, you know, I could make as much money as possible depending on how hard I worked and, and how well I did. Um, and I, and I felt like I understood the competitive landscape of it all as an athlete. You know, if you, if you perform well, you get paid. If right. you don't, you get cut. Right. Uh, so I, I got that and I've, I've always kind of lived for that kind of pressure. So I thought, well, I have no idea how to sell and, you know, I'm, I'm not really that outgoing of a person. Um, but I might as well give this a try here because I got, I got to make up for lost time. Like all, everybody is ahead of me basically. And, um, you know, I just need somebody to give me an opportunity. And when they do, I know what I've been through. I know how hard it was and nothing will ever be that hard again. So, um, you know, I'm going to push myself as hard as I can to get good at this thing. Well, that's what I was going to ask us. It's was the experience you went through. How did that inform your approach once you got into sales? And you sort of answered that as, as yes, yeah, selling is really hard, but nothing like what you went through. Yeah. I mean, it's this perspective again, just to keep coming back to it. It's like, is cold calling hard? Yes. Is being rejected <laughs> on the phone a hundred times a day? hard? Yes. Is the specter of losing your job because you're not hitting quota difficult? Yes. Are any of those things as difficult or hard as, you know, defying a life-threatening illness? Absolutely not. So I, I, I lost some of the reservation and fears that I had and in the, in the, in the inhibitions. Um, and I was just able to tap into that, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? Right. And resiliency was clearly something that I, you know, had in spades. Um, and so I, I got used to very quickly, like not caring about rejection. Um, I felt very blessed to even be in the office and have a job and even just be outside breathing fresh air. And so I felt like, well, I got this opportunity and I'm not going to squander it. Um, and I can remember walking the sales floor. And kind of looking around at all my colleagues who were in various states of distraction or disarray and despair. Yeah, right. <laughs> I remember very clearly looking around the room thinking, I'm going to destroy all these people. 
you know, if I can figure out how to sell, like they just seem like they're kind of going through the motions and Mm -hmm. I have a very specific purpose here. Like I need to get, I need to get good at this. I need to get paid quick. I need to leapfrog all these people. Um, and I need to make a name for myself. Um, and the only way that I knew how to do that was to just outwork everybody at the, at the time, you know, this, this is a long time ago, right? This is before, you know, there was all these platforms. There was no podcast to listen to. There was no LinkedIn. There was no blogs, you know, I, none of this, uh, stuff. So it was very difficult to get coaching and, and consume content. So I didn't know what else to do other than I just got to practice. Well, I, I was laughing right talking about that because I read something you had written that resonated with me, which was that you worked hard to get promoted quickly because you hated cold calling yeah. so much. Yeah. And I was thinking, that's exactly what was going through my mind. <laughs> my yeah. first year, I got promoted really quickly the first job because I was working so hard because I hated it as well. Yeah. I, th- I mean, the very first day that I went to work at this sales job. Um, and you were selling what? We were selling online lead generation tools to real estate agents and automotive mm-hmm. dealers. So okay. this, is, this is like 2004, I think it is. Um, so we, I go in on the first day. I'm, I'm nervous as hell. Um, it's like very old school. It's startup, but like old school. Like I had to wear a suit and tie and all this. Yeah, kind of stuff. yeah. So I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm nervous. So we spend the morning kind of learning about the product and and the industry and this kind of thing. And, and we come back from lunch and they're like, okay, it's time to get on the phone and make calls. And I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Like, what? <laughs> you know, I, no CRM, no, you know, enablement tools, no leads. I had to source my own leads. Uh, I didn't even have a damn headset. Right. And so I, I can remember, I'm not, I'm not crying for you by the way. Cause I can tell my story about doing that yeah, 20 years, 25 years earlier. So yeah. But I, I called my wife on the way home and uh, I'm like, I'm never going back to this job. Like I'm horrible. The phone weighs a thousand pounds. I'm terrified. I got no training, you know, and, and she, uh, she kind of punched me in the gut and was like, well, if you don't do this, what are you going to do? And, and that was like a real, you know, <laughs> like I said, it was a real punch to the gut. Like, oh, yeah. you know, she's right. I have no, no other plans, no backup plan. But that was it. Like something about that just kicked it into high gear for me and, and got rid of my excuse factory and fear. But, um, you know, I, I, it took me in my second month full time in the role. I became the number one rep in the company. And like, like you just said, I realized really fast that I hated cold calling, hated it. And I'm like, I got to get out of this role. So what's the fastest way out of this role? Well, I got to get so good at it that I can just teach other people how to do it. And that, and that, <laughs> that was my that was my mindset and became my, too. my mission. Yeah, my first twelve to eighteen months on the job just sell as much as I can, get promoted. Um, so, do you remember your first order? Oh, absolutely! Nine thirty at night, one call closed a real estate agent in Hawaii. Nice. I was I was calling Hawaii, so I was working in Walnut Creek, California. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Hawaii at the time was two or three hours behind California. So, you know, it was like six, seven o'clock Hawaii time, which is still pretty late. Um, but I was cold, cold calling Hawaii to take advantage of the time zone and, and, you know, 
got somebody that was uh, interested and closed the deal. And I just remember being so happy. Like the, it was like a rush of adrenaline, the competitive juices like kicked in and I'm like, I need this feeling again. Right. Um, and I, I recognize that I didn't close that deal because of skill. I, I recognize that I closed that deal because I was in the office three, four hours after closing on a Friday night. Yeah. And so yeah. I just applying that kind of, that kind of effort and pressure, you know, I'd, I'd show up at six, I'd leave at six. I got a couple buddies who surf with me to, who were also working with me there, um, to show up at like nine 30, 10 o'clock every, every Saturday. And we, you know, make calls and send emails for a few hours to put in extra time. Um, and that was how I learned, you know, it was just all trial by fire. Yeah, no, I, I, my first order came because I decided to make one extra call at four thirty on a Friday afternoon in person. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was actually in the East Bay of the Bay Area. My first job, territories from Fremont to Fairfield, all the way out to <laughs> uh, Rio Vista, and uh, so yeah, Walnut Creek. I spent a lot of time there. But yeah, selling desktop adding machines. So sort of our training program first. We had to sell some desktop adding machines in order to be trained to sell computers. And yeah, I remember going into this welding shop. I remember it was called Bucks Bucks Welding in Fremont, California. And I just decided, you know, I was in a walking this business park going door to door. Decided I'd make one extra call. Walk into this place, it's like soot everywhere. And I thought there's no way they want this this calculator. They you know buy it for bookkeeping purposes and so on. And uh, yeah, Buck comes out. And it looks like these pictures of coal miners, you know, from the the twenties and thirties. You know, just the whites of his eyes show, everything covered in grime, head to foot, his clothes. And I, he just sat there. Was for some reason was interested <laughs> in buying <laughs> buying the the product. I think it was a pity sale. I was in my three piece dark suit with red power tie, white shirt, all that stuff. Um, and I was nervous as hell, but. Yeah, just wrote me a check on the spot and took my demo unit. Hey, you know, the, the, the pity sale for your first sale is nothing to be ashamed of. <laughs> yeah, well, he was bemused watching me because, you know, man, you're doing manual work, but he didn't run a small business. It looked like it, they'd been there forever. I, I don't know what it was, but uh, I took it. But yeah, that yeah, you got to have that first one. Never forget Buck. Yeah. Yeah, I never forget, I never forget mine. I, I end up telling that story quite a bit in the... It's a, it's a good one. So So tell us about your most memorable order that you've taken. Um, it's certainly not a deal that I close on my own, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Um, good ones rarely are. I was only, uh, I was actually only an account executive for about six, seven months before I moved into sales manager role and been in sales leadership roles, um, you know, ever since, um, I can remember, you know, Staying in the office until roughly midnight with certain teams as we were trying to do an end of the month, end of quarter blitz to, to either hit the team number or help them hit their personal number. And this is when I was like in my late 20s now probably. And some of those times were a blast, honestly. Kind of miss some of those ridiculous long hour days where the team is like ordered pizza and everybody's trying to help everybody push across the line to hit some goal. Um, I just did a deal not too long ago with, uh, a team that I was working with where it, it was damn near a 
two-year sales cycle and it was with the state government and it was a low seven-figure deal. Um, that's a very, very memorable sale for me just because of the, not just the size of it, but the number of organizational complexities that existed trying to sell to a state government agency. Um, I mean, you talk about building upon you know, contacts and turning contacts into influencers and influencers into champions and champions into, you know, get you in the door with the decision right. making. I mean, we must have found, you know, two dozen decision makers who felt like they had the ultimate authority to sign the contract or not. I mean, just a mess <laughs> of, a, of a deal. Um, probably involved about a dozen or more people uh, internally you know, from sales engineering resources to product engineering resources to account management, customer service to strategic sales reps of mine, um, the CEO helping. I mean, that that's a very memorable deal just because of how long it took and and the size of it and the complexity of it. Well, in the process, when did the moment strike you that you knew you were going to win? Not until it was done, Andy. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. All right. Not until it was done. I mean, I'm I, my family is originally from Niagara Falls, Buffalo, New York, Western New York. So I still have this mentality where like, um, I'm not allowed to have nice things and the sky might be falling at any moment. So, <laughs> <laughs> I can't remove that. And your parents aren't even the child of the depression. No, no. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, 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 there was signals, you know, signal after signal, this is getting serious and, and whatnot, but, um, man, not until the deal was done. And everything was signed where we like, holy crap, that just, that just happened. What'd you do to celebrate? Am I allowed to say on, on this show? <laughs> we, well, say it. We can always edit it. It's not live. Let's just say we, we, we opened a bottle of tequila a little bit early that day. All right. That, that works. <laughs> and as it was you, well worth it. Well worth it. As long as you Ubered home, that's fine. <laughs> that's right. So... What's your, you know, you got promoted pretty quickly to sales management. You've been in sales management for a long time. You've been a VP of sales. Tell us about sort of the biggest risk you took as a manager and how it turned out. You know, I, I think the biggest, I think, first of all, I've taken a lot of risks. Every single time I've been an operator, I've gone to a brand new tech startup. Mm -hmm. I mean, brand new in the sense that there's next to zero revenue whatsoever and, and almost no customers. Yeah, so every too. time I, every time I left one job, um, you know, it's a bit of a, a bit of a risk, you know, you go from having, you know, good, good base salary, good, making good commissions and building something that, you know, is growing. And then this new opportunity shows up and it's like going all the way back to the start with no guarantees for anything, um, being successful. So that I'm a big believer in kind of betting on myself. Mm -hmm. um, and taking those risks. But, but the answer to your question is pretty easy, actually. Um, 2011, we decided to leave San Francisco Bay Area and move to Austin, Texas. Uh, I was working, I had just started working for a company called Main Street Hub. And the, the founders and I were kind of chatting through sales strategy. And, and I was just sort of saying, you know, I don't know that it makes sense to build a sales org in San Francisco anymore. It's right. so damn expensive. Um, you know, there's these other cities out there that at the time they, they were, you know, really kind of up and coming small tech scenes. So we right. were like Austin, Atlanta, 
Boulder and Denver, Salt Lake City, Scottsdale. So we we looked at all of these places, and you know, we when we were in Austin, we like we just really enjoyed it, and it felt like this is what we should do. So we relocated the whole company about ten of us um, from San Francisco to to Austin. I didn't know anybody in Austin, Texas at all. We have my wife and I went to high school together. Both of our parents live in our, in our hometown of Chico, California still. All of our friends and, and siblings live in, in San Francisco in Northern California. So we like we left everything. Um, I didn't know Austin was a fairly liberal city. I didn't know there was a college here. I didn't know there was a music. I knew, I mean, I was completely ignorant to- Cook'em horns. Yeah. I didn't even know that saying at all. <laughs> yeah. um, so that was, that was the risk, the biggest risk. You know, and we sort of said, well, let's give it a try. And, you know, if we, uh, if, if, if it goes south, we'll just, we'll just come home. Um, but that was, that was a big risk and, and, and probably the biggest one I think that I've, that I've taken to leave everybody, you know, behind, but it was also, I think the best decision, um, I've ever made in my career and, and, and for my family. So we're, we've been really happy here. Yeah, I mean, Austin's a cool place. I mean, it's obviously you. You tell us, and it seems last time I was there a year ago, just growing leaps and bounds. I mean, it's uh, becoming a big city very quickly. Yeah, I mean, it arguably it's in the. I would I would call it probably the third best tech scene in the country right now, but it's certainly I think it's in the top five, if not number three. So it's it's grown a ton. It's kind of well known now, but you know. One of the reasons it was attractive to me in 2011 was because it was still kind of small. And, mm-hmm. and I, I looked at it and thought, well, I could make an impact here. You know, if, if I if I scale a couple companies here, um, you know, I might be able to be a, a bigger fish in a smaller pond. Whereas if I do the same thing in San Francisco, like nobody's ever going to hear of me or know who I am. Um, and so that, that was kind of attractive, you know, to me to, to feel like I might play some small part in building a building a scene out um yeah and I, I feel like i'd done that here and and uh i'm pretty proud of that actually yeah i felt similar things when i left the bay area to move to san diego back in basically 1990 i mean there was mm-hmm. nothing in san diego except for this young company called qualcomm uh and a bunch of other young companies and yeah my thought was i got recruited to this company and it's like you know there's so little going on here that if it doesn't work out, I'm going to have to move back to the Bay Area. <laughs> and because there was nothing, there was no other alternatives. But fortunately, yeah, the scene grew up. So yeah. never did, never did return. So, but you're a long ways from surfing now. I, I am, but I'm a three hour flight to Costa Rica and a two and a half hour flight to Nicaragua. So I, prior to all this chaos, um, you know, I've managed to get down to, <clears throat> those two countries or to, or to Mexico, um, you know, at least a couple times a year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can, uh, I can catch more waves in a week in Costa Rica than I would all year in San Francisco probably. So, and a lot warmer, you're not wearing your wetsuit. Catches the itch. No. And, you know, I, 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 I created a whole business out of my love for surfing and my love for sales. You know, we, right. we Richard Harris and I created the surf and sales summit, which is a, a micro sales conference. We take about 15 to 20 people a couple times a year to 
like I said, Costa Rica, and <clears throat> we were going to go to Mexico and Nicaragua in, in September and October of this year, which might not happen now, probably won't happen now. But um, yeah, we'd work through uh, sales workshops and sales management, leadership workshops and stuff like that. And uh, it's kind of more about the experience and, and deeper networking and get a little bit of a vacation out of it. So, you know, I, I, <clears throat> I found a way to, uh, to combine my, my passions and, and get paid to go on a <laughs> on trip. There's nothing wrong with that, you know? There is nothing wrong with that. I, should, I need to figure that recipe out. Somehow combine sales and a trip to see a soccer game or something. So, or bike riding actually is the things that we're we've looked at in the past. Is I, I you'd a, be surprised how many people have reached out to me, Andy, and and inserted activity and sales it's like yeah. golf and sales, snow yeah. and sales, soccer and sales. And I, I've had people from all over the world reach out to me and say, "Hey, you should do one here with." with this sport or this activity. And I'm like, Oh yeah. You know, well, maybe I'll license it out to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, years ago in San Diego, there was a guy that was doing golf and sales. And so it, was like, it was less instructional, more networking, but I mean, it was mm-hmm. sort of in the title and yeah, they serve, I, it died out some time ago, but yeah, it went on for several years. So no, it's, it's great. It's a great way to do it. Thank and I think you. in the small groups, great way for people to, to network. And I, I think even more so now, you know, with everything that's gone on, um, you know, micro is is the way to go. I think the big macro stuff might take a really, really long time to come back. I mean, I I don't know what you think, but I, it feels it feels to me that people will be very slow to go back to a, a conference with a couple hundred thousand people, um, but might be a little more interested in a <clears throat> a smaller, more intimate setting with you know, a couple dozen people where they can still learn and, and network and, and work on their skills and, uh, and kind of decompress a little bit. Yeah. I think it's a great combination of things you do. I've enjoyed following that, uh, what you're doing because yeah, a, it's small B is, you know, the intimacy. We put on events with a partner. I put on an event with a partner a couple of years ago for <clears throat> CROs of SaaS companies, two and a half days. We rented a house in the Bay area, you know, create this experience out of it. But the thing that was most notable, the takeaway, was just how the attendees bonded with each other. Yep. And seeing them quickly engage and share their experiences. And and we were, you know, thinking after the fact, oh gosh, we probably, even though we were nominally presenting topics, we probably spoke maybe 40% of the time. And yeah. the rest was all the participants. Yep. So I'm with you. I think I think it's a great, a great model. Well, tell people how they can find out more about it. Oh, you can visit surfandsales.com. Um, sign up for the sort of alerts, if you will, about when our next events are. Um, and we actually we also ended up spinning out our own podcast to kind of get the word out there a little bit, and that's been a lot of fun. And we thank you for coming on the show. A couple months. Oh, my pleasure. Ago. It was a lot of fun. You guys did a great job. Yeah. Well, Scott, we sort of run out of time, but appreciate you taking the time to join us and um, share some information about yourself. Yeah, no worries, Andy. Thanks for having me, man. It was a lot of fun. We'll do it again. Sounds good. And if people want to connect with you, other than surfing sales, any other way? Yeah, you reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm very active there. I also recently started my own Patreon uh, community, so you can find me on Patreon as well. Got it. And uh I'm pretty obsessive about responding to people. So if anybody reaches out to me, I'll be sure to get back to them. All right. Scott, 
Thank you very much. All right. Cheers, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of this show. also want to thank Scott Lees for sharing his insights with us today. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you could also leave us a rating and a review, let us know how we're doing. We'd really appreciate it. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. So thanks for your help. And remember, connect with me on LinkedIn. Hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Good selling, everyone.